Welcome to Into the Fire. I'm Duncan. And I'm Kate. And we're here to talk about life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So come join the conversation. everyone it's wonderful uh, to be here with Sophia Sam for part two uh, and uh, of our talk on sexual purity and uh, we've invited David Wilson who is our amazing technician audiographer videographer and uh, he has taken Andrew Balsmer's place we've given him Andrew Balsmer's place as Andrew has moved on and it's just great to have you with us uh, Sathya and David. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. This is going to be awesome. Sathya, I just love Zoom. Here we are, and you're in Toronto, and we're here, and yet we can have an amazing podcast with you. I love it. So I welcome know, it's, back. It's a blessing. And I was going to say, uh, there's there's no way we're getting down to where you guys are these days. The Canadian uh, Border Patrol is pretty tight, so this is uh, this is really nice. Yeah, it's really really good to that we can do this and. Um, so Thea, you have an amazing ministry and, uh, you know, some, um, many will, of our listeners will have listened to your first podcast, our first podcast with you, which was fantastic. Um, but for those who are joining us fresh, uh, perhaps didn't, why don't you tell us about your amazing ministry? Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words. Uh, yeah, a bit of background on me. I'm a fourth generation pastor, grew up in the church, uh, grew up with a really, a really good, healthy Christian life. But fell into a debilitating porn addiction. I uh, started when I was 11 years old. My first exposure was in the computer lab of my Christian school. So um, just goes to show you can happen just about anywhere, no matter how well you, you kind of do it as parents. And um, the first time is never the last time. So that was certainly my case. Uh, it began this, this really compulsive behavior and eventually an addiction by the time I was in university. Mm -hmm. And when I really sought freedom, I realized there was very little out there. Uh, especially in the realm of, of healing the heart and addressing underlying issues. All of the solutions were behavior modification. It was like uh, internet filters and bouncing the eyes and all that kind of stuff. And so it took me a long time to find solutions that actually worked. And when I did, I was like, this stuff is too good for me to keep to myself. Like I'm going to get free and then I'm going to do everything in my power to help as many other people as possible also get free and hopefully in a much shorter span of time. So that was always my ambition, even amidst my struggle. Um, last time I looked at porn was February 2016, but I I just waited for a couple years. Um, I had had bursts of freedom before and I knew better than to jump into any kind of ministry until I knew for sure. And uh, about two years later, I felt a release from the Lord and that's when I launched Deep Clean. So, um, mm. so I get the chance to speak on uh, all kinds of media platforms to share the message and really encourage people to not settle for those um, frilly solutions that that just sort of address things at a surface level but to dig into their hearts address some of the root issues and um and i've built some courses and created some programs and some communities as well to help guys uh just get the solutions and the resources they need to experience freedom like i have yeah it's really awesome awesome sathya <clears throat> i know that in the times in my own life when i have allowed myself to fall, well, we, we say fall into temptation, but where we deliberately walk into temptation, I don't think we really fall into it. Maybe there is an element of falling into the trap of the evil one. 
I'm sure there is. But I think when we own our own decisions, it helps us to own better decisions. So, you know, when I've made the decisions to follow the allure of the the intrigue of pornography um, <clears throat> or any sexual immorality, uh, it creates this horrific uh, dynamic of secretive behavior that is driven by a desire for more than having, you know, indulged in it, then this horrible shame for anybody who, you know, is born again, knows Jesus, the feeling of disgust in oneself for what one's done is then overwhelming. And then this uh, determination in the midst of feeling so ashamed, I do not want anybody to ever find out what I've just done or what I'm doing. And yet at the same time, this, even in the midst of that, this kind of little edge of, yeah, but let's just leave the door cracked so that we can go back there because it was so nice to be doing it. I'm not quite ready to completely let go, but I definitely don't want anybody ever to find out about it. And, you know, and then this sense, especially in, you know, um, the church where people, you're surrounded by people that hear from the Lord, uh, especially in a prophetic culture, this paranoia that comes of, oh my goodness, you know, does that prophet know? Do my friends know? Does my pastor know? Does my wife know? Does my husband know? You know, all of these things. And, and what I found is that it creates this constant, being constantly trapped in thinking about it, either thinking about wanting to do it, thinking how horrible I am for doing it, or thinking how awful it was and how I never want anybody to find out. And then does anybody find out? So instead of being able to think about Jesus and think about the kingdom and think about how I can bless others and give to others or thinking about better business ideas or better, you know, um, moving forward in life, my mind is completely swamped thinking about sexual immorality. Sophia, that's my experience. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I think that's, I think you explained that cycle really well. It's kind of the classic shame, fear, control cycle, isn't it? You, yeah. You're ashamed of what you've done. You're afraid of finding out. So you control the situation to not be found out. Right. Um, I think for me, the, uh, the added layer, which is much beyond my sexuality and, and my struggles with pornography, but it was just this sort of like, I'm a pastor's kid. I, I should know better. I mm. can't have this on my record. You know, it right. was sort of that, like, I, I can't let people know how terrible I am because then, then I'm going to, I'm going to fall off the pedestal kind of thing. Yeah. And I think ministry leaders fall into that a, a lot. We were talking about this before we hit record, you know, uh, when you're in leadership in a ministry context, it, it's very challenging when you have to deal with your own issues in this arena, because is there actually anybody you can really talk to without experiencing some major ramifications, right? Um, so that that was part of my experience that I think ties into sort of what you're talking about. Certainly can relate to just wanting to cover everything up, hide it, not talk to anybody about it. But then I think the other layer was just this sense of like, but what if people think differently of me? What if what if I'm not as great as I think I am, or you know, just yeah. just facing that reality and reaching that place of acceptance is is painful and scary. 
Yeah, it is. And I just, I don't think it's just limited to ministry by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it yeah, spills over into, you know, what, what if my work colleagues ever found out? What if my boss ever found out? What if, you know, um, what if my employees, if you're the boss, what if my employees, how shameful that would be if they found out what, you know, what their boss was up to. And then of course, if you're in a relationship with someone such as your husband or your wife, you know, and I say husband, because as we found out last time, uh, how many is it? One in one in yeah, for two, every, for every two, two men. Yeah, for every two men that struggle, there's a woman struggling. Right, right. So, and I, I think that's the real sort of area that creates perhaps the greatest level of anxiety is what if my spouse found out what I'm doing? And yeah. then comes the whole, how will I ever tell them? And the amount yeah. of times where I've been, is this the moment? Shall I tell them now? Oh, no, I can't tell Kate yet. Oh, I've just got to do it. You know, uh, it's like, <clears throat> I think that there are so many, so many people, I wouldn't even know how to count, but I mean, I think it would go into the millions of people that are just trapped in areas of shame that they're not able to talk about with their spouse about their own yeah. lives. Oh, I totally agree. And I've, I've actually made it a requirement. If someone's going to work with me and they're in a relationship, um, I make it a requirement that they, they talk to their spouse about it if they haven't yet. Mm. And uh, that's usually met with a lot, a lot of shock and resistance. But um, it's kind of like we're wasting our time here. If you, if you just think you're going to get healed and then present the, the perfect story to your spouse, you're completely missing the point. Wow. Um, you, have, you have to invite, invite them in, even if you're not a spouse, but if you're engaged or you're looking to get engaged, um, this has to, it has to be addressed at some point. So actually, I, I should um, correct myself a little bit. If they're not engaged, then we assess whether it's appropriate timing or not. But generally speaking, it's like, yeah, that, that's, that is a requirement of freedom. You have to bring that person in and, and make them aware. Yeah. Well, I'd like to um, come back to that in a minute, but I'd love for David to enter into the conversation here. David, what's it been like for you? Are you one of those men that has never ever looked at another naked at a at a naked woman or person I, I wait, ever I in would, your I life? I wish I could say that. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I grew up. I wish we could all say that. <laughs> I grew yeah. up in an in an amazing family as well. Mm. Um, you know, both my grandparents on both sides are pastors. My parents were worship leaders, youth, you know, leaders, everything. A lot of it for me was lack of education. So when I was 12 years old, I honestly, the first, the first time I ever came across it, I was curious if it existed because mm. I was 12 years old, had never been taught about sex. You know, I would had a friend over and we were just hanging out and I was like, I'm curious if, it, if that's actually out there. So it was just an image back then. They didn't have the technology they have today, but the overwhelming fear of my parents finding out for four years, I didn't do anything. And every day I was terrified that they would find yeah. out because I was there, you know, in their eye, in my eyes, I guess, like their perfect son that, you know, I got up at 7 a.m. I was homeschooled. So I got up at 7 a.m., did my school, you know, like they would always be like, oh, you're so amazing. So for me, I had to keep that status, yep. you know, and that prevented me from being able to open up. And now I've been married for later this month will be seven years. 
Mm, congrats, and, um, David. It's crazy to say seven, seven years. years you uh, and Linda have been yeah, together. I'm almost, I'm 29 wow. now. And we've been together for like over 10 years total. But wow. um, I was, I was a virgin when I got married. Um, and a lot of it was. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It helped That's meeting awesome. her at 16 too, because she had, you know, pastor's parents and everything as well. Yeah. And she was, you know, had the same kind of values I had. The biggest thing that I that I've struggled even in my marriage is that because I was a virgin and because she was the first relationship that I had ever been in, it was the FOMO effect. I was I had this thing, you know, fear of missing out of what are all these things in my life that I've missed out on? And you struggle with that. Like I've never done, you know, drugs. I've never done so many things. And, you know, I've never gone partying. I've never done these so many things. So I had all these single friends that had done all these things. And I had a long stretch, several years of my marriage where I literally, you know, you can get bored, you know, at times, especially when you're not pursuing each other and you're not really connected to the father. So I had this long thing of just for the longest time, I was convinced in my mind I was going to end up cheating on her for the longest time. I was convinced the excitement of playing around, of doing certain things literally was controlling my mind on a daily basis. Mm. And I eventually opened up to her and then I realized she had been struggling with stuff. And a lot of it was because of my leadership in the household wasn't strong. I never, I I mean, I never would read the Bible. I would never say, hey, babe, you know, study, let's spend time with God. Let's do worship. Let's do this and that. I was completely absent. So that was the biggest struggle in my life is just as a pure, you know, someone that had never had sex, I just struggled with all these things around me not having done anything. And then I have people like, you know, friends and family that are like, David, you have no idea what you have. They're like, I would change it in a heartbeat to have that connection, you know, to know that you are in an amazing, you know, if you have an amazing wife, this and that, but you don't realize what you have until other people tell you or till it's gone. Right. So the biggest fear that I had was I don't want to know what's going to happen if she's not there because my life still without her would have been, I did. I couldn't imagine it, you know? Mm-mm. So opening up to her, but also just seeing, getting it out of my mind that I wasn't missing out. I can now move on because when you're single, sex yeah. is everything like in your mind. Like even if someone that's pure, you're waiting till you get married for what to have sex. It will, it'll, it'll really control your mind at times if you let it. And so yeah. I had to truly realize that I'm in an amazing position now to truly see what does God want to do with me for the rest of my life. And so it's been that it's been just allowing, you know, God to constantly just remind me of who I am and to, and to honestly pursue my wife more. The Come biggest on, thing yeah. that I've realized is that when you married people, when you are struggling with those things, masturbation, you know, not knowing if you're going to cheat, it's a lot of it is because you are not a- actively pursuing your wife yeah. or your husband, you know? That's so good. Yeah. Any comments, Sophia? Well, it just goes to show you that, you know, um, people who have a really tainted past, like they've, they've you know, I've, I've worked with people who have cheated on their wives and paid for escorts and, you know, the whole works. Wow. And those people often, yeah, those people often think, oh man, I wish, I just wish I would have had that perfect past. You know, I wish I would have never done any of those things because then I would never have these problems now. And David, I think what you're sharing shows that that's actually a misnomer, isn't it? You can actually have the clean past and yet the enemy can still wreak havoc in your life. It's still an area that he is going to try to 
to infiltrate and and really try to infect. And um, and I think it it actually it's really liberating just to think we all have our story, we all are, all have our past, whether it's been really tainted and really ugly or or relatively clean and pure. And yet we all still have to put in the work to guard our sexuality, to have healthy intimacy in our close relationships, and really to make sure that our our sexual expressions are godly. And uh, no one's exempt for that. So I think even for the listener who maybe maybe you've had a really bad journey, um, you feel like you're beyond God's grace, just understand that even if you had a, a perfect journey up until now, there would still be work, uh, work to be done. Uh, the fact that you have work to be done is not, it's not an indicator of your terrible past. It's just an indicator of this journey we're on and, and the great reward in it that comes with mastering your sexuality and being able to do that with the Lord. Mm, that's so good, Sathya. You know, mm. Sathya, one of the things that really stood out to me at the end of our first podcast was I, I just realized just how blessed I am to be in a relationship with Kate, a marriage with Kate for the past almost 30 years in August where we've been able to uh, come to a place where we're both able to share with each other openly and honestly, even when the things that we're sharing potentially are devastating and could create a massive amount of disappointment and so on. But I've come to realize that for both of us, for both Kate and I, it has actually been a huge part of us growing in our ability to master our uh, sexuality into a place of glorification and honor of the Lord because we've been able to be open and honest with each other. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some keys? Maybe we could talk together about some keys that help men and help women with their partners uh, to be able to create that healthy environment where instead of being locked away and trapped away in darkness because the price that would be paid for being open and honest would be so devastating that they the person just keeps it covered up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear David's thoughts on this as well because um, you've, been, you've been married a bit longer. I think on my end, I would say... There's, there's sort of two, there's two levels to it. The first level is the choice just to share. I have a struggle with pornography or I've done X, Y, Z. That, that choice um, requires a lot of bravery. Mm. Uh, and usually it is either fueled by pain or reward. So it is the pain of, okay, the person's going to find out or they have found out. So the conversation kind of, it gets forced. And that's really what you want to avoid it's much better to actually pursue it for a reward, the reward of intimacy, the reward of being able to heal, and the reward of just not being hidden, not being burdened by yes. the, the weight of hiddenness and the, the shame that comes with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always tell, like, so even when a, a client comes to me, okay, they want to do my program, they sign up, and they, I, they haven't told their spouse yet, I will tell them, uh, okay, well, that's actually your first thing. I don't even, like, don't even open the content yet. Uh, you have to talk, talk to your spouse about it. Um, and just so you know, it may not go well. Like, I don't, I don't try to paint this perfect picture like you're going to tell their spouse and it's going to be amazing and you're never going to feel better because that's actually not a guarantee. It, it's, it's entirely possible that it doesn't go well. 
but it is essential for freedom. Mm. There, there's no freedom without that that conscious decision to be transparent. And um, and so usually when they've reached that stage, they want to get free anyway. They know they have to do it and they just need that little kick in the butt. But I think that's the first layer is just it's the conscious choice to I'm going to open up because I know this will be worthwhile. And um, and then we can get into this. But I think the second layer is then the level of detail and and what should be shared and what shouldn't be and and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we can get into that. But uh, but yeah, that, I think we should get starts. into it. I think we should get into it. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think there, there's no right or wrong. And I would say for a starting point, you always err on the side of caution because um, it's not it's not from a, a desire to stay hidden or this sort of deceptive thing. It's because men and women are wired so differently that sometimes uh, men, especially, we will share very bluntly and, and in innocence, feel it like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be honest. So I'm just going to put everything out there. And it actually is, it's too much for our poor wife or fiance to handle. And so the, the level of detail you share with um, really revolves around the safety in the relationship and the past experience you have. If, if they've never heard anything before um, in this area of your sexual past or your sexuality, then there's actually uh, some care that needs to be administered as you're sharing. Because if you just give everything at once, I mean, it's like it's like blasting someone with a fire hose when they ask for a little drink of water. It's just it's going to be too much and it's going to overwhelm them. Well, you um, feel fr you feel free. Maybe. Yes. But they feel completely slimed, exactly. completely devastated. And as though now they've got the load, even though yes. it was your issue. Now they feel like they've got that as their issue. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, Duncan, I'd love to hear what your process was like with Kate in this, because you're, you're obviously uh, much further down the line than us. Yeah. But I think, I think for me, that would always be the starting point is you do have to share, but you just have to be conscious. You're not just sharing for your own sake. You're doing it for theirs as well. Yeah. Um, and that should affect the level of detail that you divulge. Yeah, 100%. And I think I would like to, to say that, let me say it like this, sharing in a time of peace means that when it comes to a time of war, you're in a healthier position, if that makes sense. So there yeah. are some things that you just can't share in a time of war. But if you've been able to share them in a time of peace, then the time of war is much more lessened, is greater lessened, you know. It, it works yeah. in parenting as well. You know, it's like sitting down with your children before you go into the supermarket or sitting around the table with your young children and talking about the kind of behaviors that you're expecting in the supermarket whenever you go shopping and just going through it like a sort of, you know, pre-address rehearsal, but not just before you're going, to, you're going to the supermarket, but just in the by the by of life, you know, just talking about it around the table. Then when you go to the supermarket, there's a greater degree of education in the child's heart about how, what is expected of them. And so, they are less inclined to do things that amounts to and can escalate into a time of war, you know, <laughs> which in front of the, um, the staff or the other clients in the supermarket can be an extremely embarrassing moment to have a child that's just <laughs> going off the deep end. Well, if you take that whole concept and you, you apply that to your sexuality, the good, the bad and the ugly, the healthy, the unhealthy, the functional, the dysfunctional. And, you know, you, you seek 
to be really open and transparent with your spouse when the subject matter is not the reality that you have a secret pornography addiction. It might be that you're in a season such that you are, uh, Sophia, where you haven't done it for four years. But to sit down, you know, with your wife, you know, the next time you're you're eating and say, honey, you know, I've, the reality is I've had four years of victory. But darling, I don't ever want to be in a place where if I do fail, I feel terrified to come to you. Mm, yeah, I would love point. it if it would be okay with you for you to realize that this area is an area that virtually everybody struggles in. And if there should come a time, which I'm not saying there will, my heart is that for the rest of my life, I will never, with the Holy Spirit's help, look at pornography ever again. If we can talk now so that I can gain your permission, that if for whatever reason I allow myself to be tempted so that we break its power while it's a little leopard and it yeah. never grows up into a big leopard, it would be so powerful and so helpful for me if I could come to you and share that. Would that be okay? Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard for her to say, no, no, I don't ever want <laughs> you to tell me. She's probably going to say, uh, gosh, please, I don't want you to ever do that. And then you can say, but if I do, I want you to be able to be the first person that I'm able to share this with so that yeah. I can be transparent with you and we can pray together and it doesn't become a gigantic issue where I'm in darkness and shame and it affects our marriage at a much worse level. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, guys? Yeah, to make a comment on what you just said, I have a lot of, you know, I have family and friends that have struggled with drug addiction, for example. Mm, and yes. uh, my biggest thing is I've always been telling my friends and family is that we often view the journey to, to freedom as complete abstinence, right? For 100%. Mm. Um, I've had friends and family that, you know, did 10 years of drug addiction mm. and then they started to seek freedom. They would go six months to a year without it. And then they would mess up one time and then everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, they've, mm. it's happened again. Therefore mm. we take all that stuff that's happened from the 10 years. And now that a hundred percent applies today. Mm. Instead of understanding mm. that freedom is a journey, mm. um, it doesn't wow. give us permission to do it. Right. We're not saying, mm. all right, you know, well, it's a journey. So if I have, you know, it happens. But keeping that dialogue open to that, hey, you know, the Holy, with the Holy Spirit's help, I am free. Um, mm. But I want to be able to have that dialogue mm. is amazing. So good. And also to go back to uh, with my relationship with my wife, the biggest thing that I've, in my personal journey, I've discovered that my wife wants connection more than anything. Mm -hmm. So when I finally opened up and told her, she was bawling, but in the most freeing way mm. she wasn't mad like oh my right. gosh you know like she was like i thank you so much for telling me and it was a relief because we had been so disconnected for such a long time mm. that for me to finally tell her what's going on inside of me what's been going on for her it wasn't like oh my gosh i can't believe because i know that everyone reacts differently and other you know everyone has a different history um so you know it's obviously understandable 
But for my personal journey, it was just, we had been so disconnected. She didn't know what was going on in my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So for her to finally know where I'm at, Mm. even though, yes, it hurt her some, that for her was everything. And then Mm. immediately Mm. from on there, she knew she could trust me because if I share that with her, I'm going to be more honest with everything else, you know? That's so good. That's so good. That's really good. At what point in the relationship was it, David, when when you had the... It was... I would say we had a conversation a couple of times, but I, we've been married almost seven years. It was at the four to five year mark. Mm. And so we had yeah. two to th- two to three years where I was almost numb. And so it was years of building up at that point, you know, like two to three years of yeah. just not being connected. You know, we would go three or four months without having sex. And she was like, do you not want me? You know, and so those all those emotions for all that amount of time, finally at there, she was like fireworks in her head in the best way. She was like, yes, finally, he's mm. opening up to me, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd like to just say that that's the thing, everybody, is that our ability to forgive our spouse for the things that are so painful and we're so mad about, actually our forgiveness sets us up for an enormous experience of yes. freedom and joy yeah. as our spouse who we're so disappointed in is healed by the Lord through the power of our forgiveness. I think there's a lot of men that would that are going to experience the most amazing freedom by sharing with their spouses their dark secrets. But there's a lot of spouses, a lot of wives who are going to experience amazingly free husbands through the power of their forgiveness. And yes. it is so worth it, everybody. That's really well said. I actually just had a friend um, maybe two weeks ago shared with me that he had this struggle with pornography, got married very young. I think I think he and his wife were about 20. And at about 24 years or 25 years old, so about four years into the marriage, confessed, like, I've, I have this struggle with pornography. And she was really devastated, mm. really hurt by it. And, and he is a very... I mean, he's just a very kind man and very uh, like just there's you never question his motives. You know, he's just that kind of person. So she was really devastated. Like, how could my perfect husband have this problem? And it created, you know, understandably created some turmoil and some tension. And about a year later, she had this revelation of like, I, I actually haven't forgiven him for it. Like we've been talking about it. And sort of trying to work through it and like keeping tabs on it a bit more now that it's out in the open. But she realized I haven't actually forgiven him. Mm. And and he says that when when she actually was able to say, you know, I, I I've forgiven you, like I'm not gonna hold this against you anymore, that's actually when he got free. Amazing. So it literally ex- exactly what you're describing. That was his experience. Cause he he felt so bad, you know, and he just lived with the the, I don't know, the shame or the repercussions of his confession for that year or so. Uh, but meanwhile, it's actually that that unforgiveness that was really causing him to get that next step of healing that he needed. Yeah, it's so good, you guys. And, you know, with what you're just sharing, what I shared, what David's just shared, the reality is God has given us the joy of marriage. And by the way, it's only this side of death. On the other side of death, there's no marriage except to Jesus. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> so think about this. God who purposed marriage, invented marriage, 
in order to give us a joyful dress rehearsal for what it's going to be like to be married to him, he gives us this amazing, epic, epic opportunity for us to have the greatest level of intimacy with another human being that's possible on planet Earth during this lifetime, designs it, even though he knows that Adam and Eve are going to choose sin and therefore bring all humans into sin and therefore bring every single marriage that's ever existed into the realm of utter imperfection constantly. Okay? Right? It's like a cruel joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As though it's some kind of cruel joke. And why? Why has he done this? It's be- and, and, and of course, there are many answers in Scripture as to why God wants marriage. One of them in Malachi is that he desires godly offspring. And godly offspring is the fruit of a really wonderful godly marriage. But here's two people like Kate and I who are imperfect human beings. We're married and we are the, we are the, the, we are exposed to each other's dysfunction and sinful natures. And we are the recipients of good decisions, bad decisions, and really ugly decisions. What is the only way through in marriage? It's forgiveness. Without forgiveness, marriage is impossible. That's the bottom line. And so I don't want to, in any shape or form, make out that sexual immorality, pornography, masturbation, secret sin, lust, adultery, the sexual sins are somehow in any shape or form okay. They are not. They are utterly, utterly destructive and they will kill you. Actually, if you practice those sins long enough, they'll kill you. And by the way, practice is the word. It's like, it's not whether you sin, it's whether when you sin, you feel convicted and whether you're ready and willing to confess and repent, change your life. And so, but if you're not and you practice, practice makes you really good at something. And if you become really good at sexual sin, it probably will kill you one way or another. It will certainly destroy your marriage, your relationships, your business, your finances, everything. But what I want to make is this point. Sexual sin is sin. And it is equally as sinful as lying or fits of rage or jealousy or gossip or unbelief, fear, ungodly fear, and so on. And so I want to say to everybody listening, if you don't have any of those sins going on that you're not wrestling, if you don't have any of those sins that you're wrestling with and you're perfect, yeah, maybe getting really angry with your spouse when they turn around and tell you their pornography addiction and deciding that you're going to take the moral high ground and divorce them or whatever because you can't stand the very sight of them, you might like to remember that you've actually got a whole ton of sin yourself that that same spouse is struggling with just in a whole different dimension. And I want to be careful here to say I'm not saying that it's any less than I'm not. I'm just saying that your sin 
is no less than either. Yeah, yeah, it's really well said. Um, yeah, yeah, I had so many thoughts going through my head as you were sharing there, Duncan. I think the the one thing that really jumps out to me is sort of this, and this is a, a larger conversation beyond sexual sin, but there's a difference between asking for forgiveness and repentance. True. And I think that's probably worth mentioning here that, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing for you to open up to your spouse and say, I have this problem. Can you forgive me? That That is kind of maybe step one. But if you really want to do it comprehensively, you have to also repent. Mm-hmm. And that, that repentance, that whole concept, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners have heard it in some church setting, but the whole concept of repentance is to actually change your thinking. It's to, to change your stance, the very essence of how you approach something. Yeah. And um, that is usually what a spouse is looking for anyway. Very good. They, they're, they're grateful that you've shared and opened up about your problem, but uh, inevitably there's going to be that follow-up of what are you actually doing about it. Come on. Um, and I always use that, like with, with my guys, I will always say like, you can actually tell your spouse now that you're struggling, but you have found like you're taking steps to get into a program to help you get free. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that, but there, there just has to be evidence of repentance here. I'm, I'm, it's not just that I don't want to because nobody wants to do it in the first place. It's that I'm actually proactively doing something to ensure this gets reduced and eventually eliminated That's from my so life. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's no good repenting as an if an if a person's an alcoholic it's no good repenting uh, sorry it's no good confessing that alcoholism to their spouse you know and then keeping a, a a cupboard full of you know alcohol uh and expecting that this your spouse will forgive you over and over again every day no you have to you're absolutely right you have to demonstrate a willingness to overcome and get the help you need to overcome but uh, I just think that if we can create a marriage culture that is based on two people who understand they're both struggling and therefore they can have compassion on one another's struggles and be mm. open and honest about one another's struggles, perhaps more so with each other than anyone else. Yeah. And you can have those conversations in a time of peace to create that culture. Then when there is a time of war, then the war is a whole lot less bloody and terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the stronger, if, you know, the stronger the bond is, you can have things pulling at it from each side, but it's not going to be as flimsy as like Mm. dental floss, you know? Mm. Um, Mm. And I also think just on a side note that the one, the biggest thing that I wish someone had told me before I got married was that when you get married, things don't fix itself. I didn't fix this problem before I got married because I was like, man, when I'm married, I can have sex whenever I want and it's going to be fixed. You know, I think yeah. for single people out there, work work on, you know, getting free and being open and being honest with what you're dealing with mm. before um, because it will save you a lot of heartache. Now, mm. granted, people still struggle with it after they get married, even if they have you know, if they got freedom before, but just the sooner that you have that honesty mm-hmm. and that willingness to seek that freedom is so much, you know, your marriage is going to be so much stronger. And yeah, the more you're able to communicate and the more trust you build with your spouse, there can be little nicks in the road, but you know, you have better shocks in mm. your car. You know what I mean? So good. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really good. Yeah. It's making yeah, it's- me think of something that I wanted to share in in answer to 
what have I learned, you know, with Kate in how to share. And one of the things that I made them have made the mistake of, um, in the times that I have uh, chosen to sin in the air of pornography and masturbation, which I'm very, I'm very grateful that I've been able to in the, in the last 33 years since I met Jesus, I could probably count on two hands how many times that's been. But the times that's been uh, has been very devastating for me and very devastating for Kate when I've had to tell Kate. But having worked through all the things that we've just talked about in terms of, you know, the two of us creating an environment of openness to share our struggles, Kate has found, has come to me and said later, after I been preaching, for example, and in our movement, as you know, Sophia and David, you know, John and Carol have set the example of a high degree of transparency and honesty and so on. Well, I've taken that transparency too far when I've been preaching and teaching. In my desire to be open and honest with my listeners, I've ended up sharing too much detail I'm not talking gory detail. I'm just saying sure. I've shared in a way that made Kate feel uncomfortable listening to me talking like that. Because yeah. the reality is, is that there are some areas of our lives that our spouses may know about, but they don't necessarily want the whole world to know about it, you know, because... It causes a, an opening up again of the wound somehow. So I would really love to encourage that, again, in the time of, of peace, that you have those discussions afterwards and say, hey, look, in order to help other men get free or other women get free, you know, or people get free and so on, what level right. of communication do you feel comfortable with me sharing? You know, I think it's really important. That's really good. Yeah, really good. I never never thought of it that way, but it in some ways it sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier. Like if you're really sharing to benefit the people around you, then you can have those little checks and balances to make sure that, hey, is it okay if I share this? Is this too much? Mm. Um, so that it's actually benefiting them and it's not causing harm. Yeah. That could be really exposing. Yeah, it's a good point. I think we can glorify our sin far too much. Yeah. And then well, we can glorify our capacity to repent far too much. Yeah, for sure. I think that's actually kind of the the hidden danger of this vulnerability culture that is starting to emerge is that people actually get celebrated so much for being vulnerable and transparent that um, that the, the focus is more on the act of just confessing than it is in actually repenting. Yes. And we've, we've witnessed that, like, I mean, I've seen this in many places, but, you know, if you have environment, the School of Ministry is a good example where Actually, we, we applaud people because they're, they're finally opening up about stuff in their lives that maybe they've never shared with anybody. But you can sometimes you can kind of just feel the difference when somebody is sharing because they want to get well and somebody sharing just because they want the applause. Yes, and um, wow. you, get, you have to be really, really careful um, because the goal of vulnerability is not to be vulnerable. The goal of vulnerability is to get healed and get restored. And if so you always stop good. there, it's oh, a huge good. problem. That's so good. Uh, that's good. Yeah, there's been times when I'm like, man, I don't even have a testimony. You know, back in the day, I was like, I don't even have a testimony. Like, you know, I want to be able to influence people, but do I even have a story? You know, and that's 
Now, granted, I never thought, okay, I'm going to do things so that I have a story. But it's a real thing, you know, like having that yeah. of, oh, I have my brother or my family members or my friends have gone through this and now they're in, you know, they're free and, oh man, they can travel the world. They can tell people they're changing lives and you almost can feel bad in a way, but yet, you know, you're not celebrating what your own journey and that you have maybe avoided certain things, you know? Yeah. So it's Come being able on. to understand that you do have your own story, even if it's not the same as someone else, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. so good. That's so good. David, you know, purity, a man of purity, that's yeah. a testimony. That is a better testimony than a testimony of impurity forgiven. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's better to be healthy than to require healing, right? Yes. Like get, getting healed is awesome. But yeah, exactly. if you can be healthy from the get-go, that's way better. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Duncan, that it's reminding me of that. What's that scripture? Did you have do you still have it? Yeah. The second Corinthians. Yeah, whatever it is. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. It's a powerful, powerful verse to counteract what I think is one of the theological frameworks that the church has developed over centuries in some circles that I think keeps people really bound up and unable to get free because the mm. very culture is based on a theological framework that says, now that I'm born again, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so, Inner healing's not right. Uh, you know, victorious Christianity is what I need to walk out. And mm. uh, I'm a perfect man in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And I actually don't need to look into my past in order to figure out my future. Meanwhile, of course, everybody around those people recognize there's some serious issues uh, in those people's lives that if only they could just have some inner healing or better, I like to prefer to call it healing of life's hurts. We like to call it healing of life's hurts. Where we deal with the realities of our wrong reactions in the past and we deal with that defilement uh, allows us to mature in our oneness with Christ. And so second, yeah. so here's Paul he writes 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is the verse that is classically used for the basis of there's no need for any healing or healing life's hurts. But then only one and a half chapters later, having ended chapter six with a quote from Hosea and Isaiah that God's saying, I will be your God and you'll be my people. I'll be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters. He says, verse seven, verse one, therefore, because we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. So Paul's including himself in us, cleanse ourselves. So he's an active participant in these actions that he's saying, let's do this together. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles us in body and spirit. And the word mm. in Greek is flesh, sarks, and spirit, pneuma, which includes the soul, suke, which is between body and spirit, is the realm of the soul. So in other words, the entire man. And actually, Paul 
is basically saying right there, it is possible to be defiled even in your spirit, and therefore you can have demonic activity in your spirit man, even if you're born again, affecting your spirit man. And so he's saying, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles us in flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Ah, come on. Mm. Woo! Jeez, Imagine how much freedom would come to the church if we all allowed ourselves to have rigorous, um, reasonable, and regular, undef- uh, you know, uh, cleansing. times of cleansing. Thank you. Deep yeah. clean, deep clean, Sophia. <laughs> deep clean your ministry yeah. so that we get cleansed from defilement. Yeah, man, I love the way that verse ends. And that, it was reminding me of what you were sharing, David, because I think like it, in some ways, it, it shows us the end goal here. It's that perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, right? So we, we can't apologize for our healing either. And for the good decisions we've made, the clean paths we've had, because there's going to be some people who would probably listen to this who have actually don't have that tainted past or haven't made those huge mistakes. And um, it, it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, whether you've made those big mistakes or not. That's the goal. The goal is we are perfecting our holiness in fear of the Lord. And um, yeah, it's all the more reason for us to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to get secure in our relationships and and be transparent and honest there. And I think, um, man, that verse is really powerful. Duncan. And I, yeah, I think really I love it. Thank you, Sathya. It really is. And, and to me, it speaks of the journey that David was talking about, you know, yes. because perfecting holiness, in other words, you've already been made holy. You're one with Christ but you're bringing yourself into perfection Hmm. in your behaviors, in the outworking of what the holiness that you've been given, that the spiritual man that you are, that's seated with Christ in heavenly places, how, how that reality gets lived out and how much of that perfection, the people around you, your spouse, especially your children, especially are enjoying the holy you in the heavens, how much of that holy you is earth enjoying? And the reality yeah. is it's all to the measure that you're willing to be cleansed. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and just, you know, just to finish with this, that, uh, you know, Jesus said in John 17, 23 he said i pray father that they will be one as we are one i in you you in me us in them that they may be perfectly one even as we are one so that the world may know that you have loved me even as much as you've loved uh, the world may know that you have loved them even as much as you've loved me yeah. and eugene peterson translates in the message that that they may be perfectly one he translates it that they may be brought into full maturity in this oneness. And that word right there, full maturity, perfection in Greek, in English, full maturity or perfection, is the exact word that Paul uses right there in 2 Corinthians 7 1. So, in other words, oh, wow. what's he saying? He's saying, listen, a husband and a wife, when they get married and they have, you know, intercourse, sexual union, they become one flesh. Kate and I became one flesh 29 and a half years ago. But we have, even though we've always been one, there's been many, most of the time, 
we behave like we're two because we're not very mature in our oneness. And that's exactly the same with us and Christ. We became one. He became one with us at the cross. We became one with him at the cross. Now we're born again. We're one with him. But that which is in the heavens, our union with him in the spirit, is actually being brought into full maturity in our behaviors and our thinking and our lives mm, that's good. and our sexuality. So, in some ways, it's like God has, he's given you everything. He's put it all in your bank account and you just have to learn how to increase your withdrawal limits. Wow. You know, you just, you learn how to keep pulling on it and how to get more and more of it. And similar, like a bank will, they will increase your limits, not a withdrawal limit necessarily, but they'll increase your limits as you show that you're worthy. Trustworthy. Given. Ooh, yeah. That's so, so it's, good. It's, there's a whole working, a working out of our holiness that's involved there. Yeah, yeah. I love that, Sophia. Well, Sophia, how can somebody who's listening get in touch with you? Because I'm sure there's been those that are like, I want freedom or I yeah. want to help my spouse. I've had my suspicions that they might be looking at pornography. You know, I want to help them get free. I want to sit down with my spouse and I'm not going to smash them over the head. I'm going to I'm going to sit down with them and we're going to come to a place where they can be set free and repent. But how can people get a hold of your? Yeah. Yeah. If somebody is, um, if you're looking to get free of pornography and you need some help, you can go to my website, um, getadeepclean.com and um, you can book a call there. And I don't charge anything for the calls. It's just so I can hear your story and figure out what the best solution might be going forward. Uh, that's the best way. I'm, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. You can reach out to me there if you just want to send a message. If your spouse is struggling or you want to kind of bring up the conversation, um, the, the reality is in some ways you, you, can't, you can never force somebody to share, yep. nor do you want somebody to share by force um, because they don't get the reward of it if they don't get to consciously make the decision to, to share and to be vulnerable. Um, but the best thing you can do is just Make those conversations as safe as possible. Uh, the safer it is, the better the likelihood that they will open up. Um, so that would be that would be my my number one tip there. If it's a it's a spouse that you're concerned about. Fantastic! Wow, so good. Well, how about we ask? How about we? I think you closed out last time, Sophia. How about we I ask did. David if he would like to uh, close as well, and then you, Sophia, and then we'll finish this. So, two of you pray. For our listeners. Thank you, Father, for just giving us an opportunity to have this platform to bring awareness and also to bring to bring peace in this kind of field, because it's definitely a tough subject and it's something that a lot that most men struggle with. And Father, we just want to speak to the heart of men out there that are afraid, yeah. that have fear of what their spouse will think, what their children will think, if they're in a you know, position of authority, what their congregation will think, what their business partners will think, Father. Um, we just want to just give, we just want to speak your peace over them, Father. Yes, Lord. yes. Your peace that will just cover multiples, mm. a multitude of sins, Father. Mm. We just thank you for for giving Sathya such a strong voice in this yeah, field, Father. We just want to bless Lord. him Ooh, and yes, thank, Lord. just give him all the resources mm. he needs, Father, that because this is obviously the most important, this is one of the most important things to his yeah. heart, Father. Yeah. So we just want to bless him, Father, yes. and say, God has equipped you with all the resources you need to speak to as many people as you can handle. Mm. And then to bring people alongside you that then will be, you know, outreach or be an extension of you. 
And so, Father, we just want to bless Athea right now, Father. Yeah. We just thank you for, you know, him him coming on the show and blessing us with his words. It's spoken to me, you know, immensely this week thank and last you, week, Father. So we just want to bless Athea. Yes. And just thank you for letting this topic become more and more aware, more and more awareness, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And fa- Father, for all the listeners out there, um, for, for the guys who are struggling, who are on the fence, um, Lord, we, we just pray that, that, you would, um, that you would create those safe avenues and those safe opportunities, uh, like Duncan was saying, the peaceful opportunities to share, to reach a handout and get some help. Lord, whatever, wherever they are, I just pray that, that you would s- help them realize that freedom is possible. And God, we, we thank you that freedom is not something we have to twist your arm for. It's not something we have to beg for. God, you are more excited about our freedom than we are. Yeah, thank and, you, And our, our choice to pursue freedom is simply partnering with your heart for us and your plan for us. Yeah. And so so we say yes to that. And Lord, for those of those who are out there on the fence, God, would you nudge them, nudge them into the, the land and the journey of freedom. Yes. And, um, and Lord, where there's any fear of being found out, God, I pray there'd be just the bravery, the conscious choice to be found instead, yeah. and that there'd be tremendous freedom as a result. And, yes. and for those who maybe aren't struggling, those who have a spouse or those who um, who have freedom already in their lives, Lord, we still declare uh, a perfecting of yeah, holiness in each right. and every single life. Wow. That, Lord, this is an ongoing journey. No matter how free we are, there's mm. always more. Yes. Lord, let there be a, a release of increased measures of freedom, the, the purity and the sanctification of heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And just remember, everybody, you've already been found out. Heaven sees everything. Okay. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, God bless. Thank you so much, Shathia and David. Um, Thank you, guys. It was wonderful. Enjoy your freedom, everybody.